Welcome everyone, I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana. We're here at 318 Latino Studios for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. And today is very special. It's the first time we are co-hosting an episode. My co-host today is Lavette Fuller and our guest is super special. It is KVN Lewis. Can't wait to uh, can't wait to do this with both of them. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always excited to talk about my book, but especially with people from my hometown. So this is like extra exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, before I forget, so I do have a copy of Kavian's most recent book, Thieves Gambit, which we will talk about. Um, so Kavian, uh, I'll go ahead and jump in. You're a massive local success story. The U.S. book rights for your book, Thieves Gambit, were acquired in a seven-figure deal and Lionsgate has acquired the movie rights with Stephen Capel Jr., who directed Transformers, Rise of the Beast, and Creed II, attached to direct. Let's start here today. My first question is, what has it been like to grow up here in Shreveport? Oh boy. Well, um, obviously it's the only growing up experience that I've ever known. Like I don't have a frame of reference for anything else. I've lived in Shreveport for most of my life. Um, only recently, I just briefly moved to New York for a little while, a few months with my brother. And that's the only really experience I have even living anywhere outside of Shreveport. Um, it's definitely home. There's nowhere else in the world. I've had the privilege of getting to go visit and explore lots of other places in recent years, some for research purposes and some just for fun. But this is the only place that I come back to. It's the place that when I've been gone for too long, I'm in a hotel room in some faraway land and I'm like, man, I wish I could just go on down to John's Seafood and get some catfish or I miss like that I'm missing the Mudbug Festival in Shreveport. Um, it's the only experience that I have, and I love it here. I think the people here, you know, that have that southern charm, but it's like a city, so you kind of have the more like urban experience. Um, it's just home, and it's like a big comfort blanket being here. Awesome. That's awesome. Kavion, if I'm not mistaken, you are 24, a graduate of Magnet High, Caddo Magnet High, and worked at the North Shreveport branch of Shreve Memorial Library for three years. What have public libraries meant to you? Oh, libraries are everything. Oh my gosh. So much of my life has been like intertwined with the library. Um, since I was 16, when I actually had my first job in Bossier, and then for the last four years of my career, I was working in the Shreve, uh, the Shreve Memorial Library branch. Um, it definitely fostered my love for books, just being around books so much and librarians and getting to inspire young kids and share books with them. Um, and also, once I realized that I wanted to be a writer, it was kind of helping me see the industry in a different way. Um, just being around readers all the time and getting to see, okay, what are teenagers interested in reading? Um, what's the type of stories that I don't see on the market enough? Um, where's my niche that I wanna like slide into in this industry? So I love them as a reader. I love them working in libraries and now I'm really honored that I'm actually on the shelves. <laughs> it's gonna be very exciting to go in and actually be able to pull your, your own book off of a shelf in the library you worked in. Oh my in. God, it's so cool, yeah. And then like, well, when I used to work at the library uh, before I became a full-time author um, with my previous book, I may have sometimes, I would take my book like off the shelf and put it on one of the display cases. <laughs> so maybe I was like abusing my librarian like privileges there, but that was pretty cool too. I think anyone would do that. I think it's great. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned like what the kids like to read and that to me with you writing for young adult, the question is, do you feel pressure to be a role model? Um... I'd say a little bit. Um, I think just 
when you write for young adults, and especially a, a lot of my job recently I've been discovering is going and doing school visits and meeting with young readers and uh, kids of all ages, you do, I think if you're in a job where you're going to be interacting with the youth, you do have the responsibility to um, show them your best self. Um, but I also think you have like the responsibility to show them like your realist self and talk about um, not just like your successes and being a role model in that sense, but also like some of the things that you've maybe struggled with and some of your difficulties. Um, but I guess that is part of the whole role model thing. So I don't, it doesn't feel like a pressure though. It feels almost like an honor. That's cool. Thank you. And Kavi, I've listened to numerous interviews with you and, and one thing that becomes quite clear is how driven you are. <laughs> Can you talk about where that comes from, and in general, just some about how you were raised? Well, you say uh, driven, and the first thing that I thought of was like, you mean just really stubborn? <laughs> <laughs> I remember just for so long when I realized I wanted to be a writer, it was like, it was 2018, and I was 19 years old. Um, I'd never written before, but the day that I started writing, I opened up my laptop and I started typing. It was the first time I've had this, like, total certainty about anything in my life. Um, I've never fallen in love with someone before, but you'd hear people say, oh, I met this person and I just knew. It was like that with writing in a sense, like I started doing it and I just knew this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is what I, like, I have to do. And so in a sense, it was like, I have to make this work. I have to figure out how to make this my career. So I just, there was no other option. So you say driven, but I'm like, I really, there was no, there, there was no choice. Like I had to do this. Um, maybe I do get a lot of that from the way that I was raised. My dad is definitely a very um, tenacious person. He's such a hard worker. Um, my entire life I'd seen how he would work to like give my brother all the things, my brother and I, all the things that we didn't have when we were growing up. He grew up very poor. He's from uh, Van Buren, Arkansas, and he would tell us how some days they only had like potato soup to eat and how he was the first in his family to go to college and how just how hard he had to fight to get where he was. And I guess I, he ingrained that in my brother and I that it's okay to like want things and want better for yourself, but it's really ever just given to people. You really have to like fight and if it's really worth it, like, even if you go down, go down fighting for it, you know? Did you feel any pressure to maybe reconcile such a nebulous career where, you know, a very limited group of people get to actually do what they love that's creative and actually get paid to do it? Did you ever feel like there was any pushback or resistance from your family about something they might see as impractical? None from my family. Um, definitely a lot more maybe from people who are more so like acquaintances or don't know you as well. Um, my immediate family are very supportive of my brother. And I, my, at least my parents are very supportive of my, of my brother and I, like pursuing our dreams and our goals. Um, I think part of that is because um, I have heard stories of my parents telling us how I wanted to do maybe this more um, risky thing when I was younger, but then I got married and I had kids and you have to, I had to be realistic. Um, but part of the reason my dad would always instill in my brother and I that he worked so hard is because he wanted my brother and I to be able to like pursue our dreams. Um, and I'm ever like eternally grateful for my dad. Um, I remember sitting down with him like in a Chili's like four years ago, telling him how I really, really, really want this writer thing to work, but it kind of like you said, like it doesn't really work out for most people. And him just telling me like, as long as I'm alive and I'm here, like I want you to go chase your dreams because I gave up and it's like, the biggest regret of my life and I don't want you to like feel that same sort of 
like emotions mm-hmm. that I had to go through. Um, so my immediate family definitely was always supportive of the writery thing. But when it comes to maybe people you don't know as well, mm-hmm. you know, you tell them, oh, I'm like 20 and I want to be a writer. And they kind of give you that look like, oh, okay, but, you know, what else do you want to do? Like, what do you really want to do? Maybe you should write on the side. Um, so I kind of learned early on when you were getting those reactions that I would be kind of hesitant to even tell people that I was a writer or that I wanted to do that. And if I did bring up writing, I would bring it up more as like, oh, it's just like a hobby and it's something that I do on the side. But my real job is I'm a librarian and let me tell you about my my stable career. Um, But on the inside, like I knew like, no, one day they're going to see. One day I'm going to like actually make this work Mm -hmm. and I'll be proud to like tell people I'm a writer once I have the proof behind it. I love it. With the experiences you're having, you're meeting a lot of new people, new experiences. If you had to drop any of the new people that you've met through your career into Shreveport, what would you feel like you had to answer for that's not ideal? Oh, I think just about the general like infrastructure of Shreveport. Um, driving around the city, I love the city, I love it so much, but driving around, especially like downtown a lot of the time, I'm like, this place just, it's not very aesthetically pleasing and it looks a little like it's falling apart slowly like uh, it could use definitely a little bit more love um there's that and then I always wonder like a little jokingly almost I imagine I was talking to my literary agent a while ago um and she was talking about coming to visit me in Shreveport and the first thing I thought like jokingly was like uh that'll be the day we get like mugged or something (laughs) or there's like a shooting at the gas station we stop at um I know that the crime here is definitely maybe a little bit higher than the national average. And I think maybe just growing up here, I might've become almost accustomed to that. And I definitely think that's something that um, I'm not as proud to maybe show somebody else who I brought to Shreveport or that they might Mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. Now on the flip side of that, um, what would you be most proud of to show them? Oh my God, we're gonna go to like all of the seafood, all of the like best southern eateries around here we're gonna go to sam southern eatery and we're gonna go to like john's catfish like i said and we're gonna go to shane's if you guys can't tell i love catfish and like the catfish platters i think the food and like the southern culture around here is amazing like i love being from louisiana just because of like the like cajun music and like the alligator and everything i i love that i have a let me jump in real fast um so you know we we struggle here as you know uh exporting a lot of our best and brightest um you you know what kind of advice do you have for sort of leadership here locally to um retain more kvn lewis's Mm, i think for those of us who are um in the arts like me there could definitely be maybe a bit more opportunity for people who are in the arts. I know that we have like Shrac and I'm a member of Shrac and there are lots of opportunities connected with that. But especially as a writer, I find that like, well, that's great for lots of visual artists, but I didn't really find a lot of um, maybe like nurturing for like young writers around here. So if we could maybe have some sort of like endowment for like young writers or um, some more writing programs connected for maybe like continuing education connected with some of the local colleges. Talent stays if you nurture it, I think. And maybe we could do a little bit better in that regard. Great. 
And, you know, uh, those were all of our set questions, but <laughs> really? we have all the time in the world. Um, Lavette, I know you, there's some other things so, you want to. Yeah, thank you. Because I stepped on one of your questions. I'm sorry about that. Oh, and I have them all labeled too. Um, Kavian, something that you've already talked about a little bit is your dad. And something that we have in common is both of our fathers were police officers. I didn't know that. Yeah. Whoa. My dad was, uh, I think that they actually served together for a little while before really? my dad retired. Yes. And um, what I'm wondering about is your personal experience of situational awareness, because I've noticed that Ross is very much connected with always looking for an escape plan, like wanting to understand her surroundings. And, and Ross is the lead character in yes. Thieves' Gambit, for those of yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> she's on the cover, it's like jumping right into it. Um, but your main character is very much concerned with her self-awareness of where she is and her surroundings. And I'm wondering if there was anything in your upbringing with your father to make you keenly aware of your situational awareness. Oh, that was like a biggie for my dad. Um, it's almost like second nature to me and my brother now. Um, I remember being young and my dad would go to restaurants and he would always make us like sit in the like one of the back booths and he would be like, we're sitting back here so we can see the entrance, so we can see who's coming in and who's going out and how long are they staying. And I just thought, I was like, yeah, that's definitely totally normal. Yeah. And he, <laughs> he had to have his back to the door. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or his back to the wall facing the door. So you have to yeah. see the exits and mm -hmm. all of the, you know, places to come in and out. And just him always reminding, like, me and my brother, or especially me being a woman, like, um... When you're out at the gas station, like look around, see who's around you, and always know like where you are and where you're going. But that was definitely something that's just such an innate part of me now that it just naturally made itself its way yeah. into my main character. <laughs> that tickled me a bit to read. I, I was like, hey, I wonder if this is a thing because it definitely felt like it. Right. I can think of those <laughs> memories of my father, like well into my twenties. You should have been able like, meeting up with him. You should have been able to find me sooner. Like you weren't paying close enough attention. I'm right? Like, is this high school? <laughs> Perfect. I have another question. So, uh, you know, something we talk a lot about on this podcast is just kind of the self-esteem issue that we struggle with as Shreveporters, and you know, people just not feeling comfortable or feeling proud to be from here. I don't feel like you have that. You know, what do you, what do you attribute? If you don't suffer from that, why do you think that is? And, and, and what sort of advice or wisdom do you have for other people to kind of embrace this as their home? Yeah, no, I definitely do see that. And it, it almost like breaks my heart to see, um, I guess, so many people my age, um, either like they, they talk about how they're going to move out of Shreveport um, or they even do for a little while. And some of them come back and some of them don't. Um, I, like I said, I love Shreveport and I love like being here and I love the city. Um, I think maybe so much of it is that as much as I do love Shreveport, um, it isn't a perfect city and there are things that could be improved. But I also think that we need to work on like nurturing the youth in general because um, not to get like too like a psychology major, even though I'm not a psychology major Please. here. Um, but when I'm talking to like my friends and stuff, the ones who are like, oh, I'm gonna leave Shreveport and get out and all of my problems are gonna be fixed. I think so much of that isn't actually, doesn't actually have to do with Shreveport. It has to do with their own um, like mental health or their own like personal insecurities um, that people just like to intertwine with like their environment and say, well, it's not really me. It's this place that I've, I've grown up in. And when I leave, I'm going to get away from it. And nobody that I know that's like moved away has like magically fixed all their problems by moving away. So I think that's almost a problem that you have to start by 
just paying closer attention to like youth, like as they're growing up, like your young citizens, like I was saying earlier about the talent, like nurture your young talent, but not just like your young talent, like nurture the youth in general, make sure that you're raising like young citizens who aren't just proud Shreveporters, but like are like really great and like strong and like mentally um, taken care of and emotionally taken care of like kids. And if they grew up feeling good about themselves and feeling like they've, there are people who've been like provided for, um, they grow up feeling like good people and then they don't turn around and blame that on, oh, it really, it's just this city, you know, if that No, makes it makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Anything else you want to, I know you could uh, talk we, for. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to get into questions about the book that become spoilers, <laughs> but just in general, we were talking before we started recording just about some of the nuance of the book. And I was very impressed with the character development and the characters that are like culturally very well developed, in particular your your Asian characters. How much of that is because of your travels and is there anything else that led to that development? Um, well, definitely just the diversity in the cast itself, I think was partially inspired, inspired by my own wanderlust and wanting to go around the world. And I had this fantasy of one day having friends from all around the world and it would be like so cool. Um, but a lot of that, or I think that the reason that the characters are like so well developed, um, is just exposing myself to so much different media from around the world. Like I love like telenovelas and I love, um, like sea dramas I've been watching recently and manga from Japan and everything. Um, so I think that also influenced some of the, like, hopefully, thankfully well done, um, like diversity and like, um, portrayal of the characters. But we were also talking earlier how I was lucky enough to have a sensitivity reader also to make sure that I was portraying like some of the characters, uh, Kyung Soon from South Korea in particular, um, in an accurate way. Because sometimes, you know, there can be a difference between, you know, um, wanting to have all these diverse characters or people who aren't really like you, like in your book. And then, you know, maybe you don't do it as well as you thought. So um, if you're ever a little like iffy, it's never hurts to actually ask somebody who is like, you know, of that minority that you were writing. So I was very grateful that my publisher was able to send the book out early to a great South, um, uh, South Korean uh, reader to make sure that I was doing that justice. That's I wonderful. have two, two questions that have nothing to do with what you just talked about. But uh, <laughs> the first is, well, they're, they're kind of the same question, but someone comes to visit you, never been here before, they're, they want to shadow you on a normal KVN work day in Shreveport. So take me through what that looks like. I want to I see it from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. And then they want to do the same in, a, in a, a typical KVN fun day in Shreveport or just a recreational non-working day. So I, wanna, I want you to kind of describe both of those for me from start to finish. Okay. Uh, well, the thing about being self-employed is a lot of the times the work day is also the fun day and the fun day is also the work day. Um, but on a day in which they're, you know, pretty divided on a work day, I'll usually um, wake up. Um, I, I try to work out every day. So I'd still, I'd still be going for like a run or like to meet what my trainer. What time are we getting up? Like approximately? Around like 8 a.m. Okay. 8 or 9 a.m. Um, usually back home by 10 and then showering, eating breakfast. I usually don't start actually working until around like 11 a.m. Um, and I will do that nowadays from my office at home, at least to start, I'll usually answer like, emails at home, like in my office, and that'll take like an hour or um, corresponding with like my publicist or just, you know, like office tasks like that. And then um, I'll usually 
it depends on where I am, like on my like in a certain books like development process, because sometimes you're actually writing, sometimes you're doing revision work, sometimes you're doing like um, copy editing. So there are different parts in the process. So I'm, I'm going to invent, let's say you're writing. If I'm writing, um, I would usually, I usually don't write at home because I find that I can do revision work at home. But if I'm writing, I, I can't be at home. I'm so easily distracted. Um, I'll usually go to either a local library, um, like the North Street branch or the David Raines branch, which are actually pretty far from my house, but they're some of my favorite branches. I'll usually go there for a couple of hours to write, or I actually like to go park at Cross Lake. Um, in the mornings, there's like few people there, and I'll just park and look at the water and like write on my laptop. Or recently, I've been going to Rhino Coffee and getting a hot chocolate and like sitting in the back room and like writing there. And so we, I, have a, we have a word goal or not? Like these typical writing days, do we have a, a, a goal usually, of number of words we want to write during that day? Usually, um, and the word goal like varies depending on like the project or how long I have to work on it. I'd say an average word goal is maybe between like 1,200 and 1,500 words. Um, if I like procrastinated and I don't have a lot of time anymore, I can get up to like 2,000 or 2,500 or God forbid like 3,000 words a day. But usually around like 1,500 max is my sweet spot. I mean, that'll usually take me about two or two and a half hours to do if I'm working like a little like um, leisurely. So I'll go out and I'll do that. Um, I'll come home. I'll probably be home around like two or three. Um, honestly, then I'll probably eat lunch and then take a nap. Um, and then in the evenings or the late afternoon, evening, I often do writing like for fun. Um, it's weird being, you know, like a writer because your writing for fun will eventually turn into like, you know, your paid writing. But I call it writing for fun if it's writing that's like not under a contract and it's something that I don't have a deadline for and I don't have to worry about all of that right now. So I'll do some writing for fun, maybe for like an hour or two hours if I'm really into the project, like, you know, three hours. Um, and then it'll be the end of the day around like five or six. And then I usually have like an evening activity. Like I do Kung Fu at Lee's Kung Fu and Tai Chi on King's Highway. I love that there. My Kung Fu family is amazing. Shout out to all of them. So I'll usually do that on some evenings. Um, or I'll have like a piano lesson or something. And yeah, and then that's like the end of my, my work day. <laughs> and then give me a, a total veg or non-work day oh, in, in the world of KVN. Let's see, okay. Um, usually those are like weekends. Um, weekends, usually on like Sundays, I'll allow myself to like not do any work at all. And that's the only day that I feel not bad about like not doing anything. Um, so I'll usually wake up pretty late, maybe around well, 10 a.m. isn't that late, but that's like waking up late for me. So I'll wake up at like 10-ish. Um, on Sundays, my brother and I would often go do boxing at the Southside Swim Club. Do you guys know where that is? Kind of near Mansfield. Yeah. Um, there's actually a boxing gym. This guy named Ricky has like a boxing gym there. He's like a friend of my dad's, but he's like actually a former pro kickboxer. And he does like boxing lessons and personal training. Um, so on Sundays, we'll usually go like work out with him for like an hour. But I don't really consider that working out because it's like fun to me. So, so if something's fun, I'll be like, oh, it's not work. It's just fun. Yeah. So do that for like an hour. Come home, like shower. My brother and I will usually get something to eat. Um, there's also like a wings place on Mansfield. Wings and rice, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, almost every Sunday, he'll like stop and get something from there. Um, and then we'll go home and usually like watch a movie or something. Nap again on Sundays is also a common activity. Um, I like to go see theater. If there's anything like new at like the Bipsy like uh, theater, I like to go see those shows. Um, 
or go see the movie at Tinseltown. It really depends. Like it, it varies whatever I feel like doing <laughs> that Sunday. It's like a fun day. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Some diverse activities there. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I like that, that you've got... Well, so do you... You know, I did wonder about this because you've got a little bit of hand-to-hand combat in your books. So yeah. you come by that pretty honest then, huh? Yeah, yeah. I've always been really into martial arts. Um, I remember one of my earliest memories with my dad is actually him teaching my brother and I how to do like a chokehold as like a five-year-old. I don't know how effective it would have been against like a possible kidnapper. This as like having a, a policeman as a father. <laughs> right? Did, did your dad do that too? <laughs> that was definitely like an early instilled love. Um, I started Kung Fu at Lee's when I was in high school um, and I took off for a few years and I actually just went back like a few months ago. Um, but in the meantime, in the interim in those years, I'd been like kickboxing and doing jujitsu and... I just love beating people up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it reads, it rings true in, in the scenes in the book where it comes up because there is a little bit of violence in the book. But a I little was bit. Like, how does, um, how does a, a nice young lady from Shreveport know about all of this hand-to-hand combat? But it's because you've been practicing. Right, yeah. That's great. I mean, there are some really great hand-to-hand combat instructors in Shreveport. Yeah, Lebet, so. I guess so, yeah. Good job, Shreveport. Right, yeah. I'm very glad that I was able to incorporate that into very my cool. stories. Very, very cool. Well, Kavian, I'm so proud of you. I feel so fortunate that Lavette put you on my radar and introduced me to you at Barnes & Noble, and um, I'm so inspired. I, I read the book. I loved it. I'm so inspired by hearing you talk, meeting you, and, and I can't wait to follow you from here on out. Um, Lavette, I'll let, I'll give you, I'll give <laughs> both of you final words, but. I just want to say thank you for agreeing to do this. Thank you, Jeffrey, for allowing me to sit in and interview with you. Um, I'm such a big fan. I'm so excited to read what you do next. Oh, thank you so much for having me, you guys. It's like really an honor to be able to actually sit down with people like from Shreveport. It's like, it's so cool. Thank you, and I hope you have me back like when the movie comes out or the sequel or something. That would be awesome. Deal. Awesome. <laughs>